Welcome to the Scale Up Your Business podcast. In this podcast, we talk about what it takes to go from startup to scale up and beyond. How to significantly grow your business, create freedom, build wealth, and live life on your terms. Featuring some very special guests and experts to give you advice and direction on your journey. And now, introducing your host, entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, Nick Bradley. Hi, everyone. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business. It's another week and another amazing guest for you today. So over the last few weeks, I've been talking about the different characteristics of businesses that uh, sell for lots of money when the, the founder, the business leader decides to exit. And we've been talking about them in the uh, context of the six peaks of value creation. And one of those peaks, if you like, is called process. It's the ability to automate your business, to have your business run like clockwork, to bring in systems. You know, so the stuff that doesn't sound particularly sexy when you, you know, put it next to brand and marketing and, and some of those kind of things that get all the, the headlines. But to be frank, if you want to create freedom in your business for you so that you can live life on your terms, then it's systems and process that are going to enable that. So I'm delighted to have on the show today a gentleman by the name of David Jennings. Now, David is a fellow Australian, and you are going to have to have another one of those episodes where you have to put up with two Australians kind of reminiscing about their life back down under. But the reason that uh, I wanted to invite David on to scale up your business is he's just written an amazing book called Systemology, and that is how you create time, reduce errors, and scale your profits with proven business systems. Uh, it's an amazing book. The reason it's really good is, and we get into this today, is I, I sometimes like to think that I sit at the strategic level of business, you know, the 50,000 foot view, I often say. And when we start to get into the detail, it's not my superpower. It's not the area that I get the most energy from, even though I know it's critically important. What David has done is he has written a book for someone like me, for someone who is the business owner, the entrepreneur, who knows that he needs to be able to bring this level of rigor and this level of structure into his business, but may not know where to start. So it's an absolutely brilliant read. And you know you can take so many practical tips from the book and apply them to your business that um, I know you're going to get a lot out of the show. So just a little bit more about David, um, just before I formally introduce him. He has um, scaled and systemized his own business and exited. It was uh, one of Australia's most trusted digital agencies. Um, but probably the more interesting thing about him, actually, and I kind of read this in the back page of his book, is he's famous for selling in his early 20s Australia's most beloved sporting venue, the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Now, I'm not going to get into how he did that, why he did that, what the inspiration was, because it's how we kick off today's show. But let's just say that the price of admission to that story uh, and a couple of other ones that he's got is uh, well worth a listen. So there you have it. Uh, that's today's show. We're going to go deep into systems, deep into process. We're going to talk about David's book, Systemology. So welcome to Scale Up Your Business, David Jennings. Hi, everybody. Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up Your Business. Another week, and I have another amazing guest on the show for you today. I am delighted to welcome David Jennings. Now, David uh, has written one of the best books I've read probably in the last two or three years. And you know why it's one of the best books I've read? Because it's a topic that I would normally glaze over. And I know it's important in entrepreneurship, but I just it's just not where I come from. And it's all about systems and how you can create freedom as an entrepreneur in your business. Um, so welcome to the show, David. Thank you for the introduction and the kind words too. That, uh, yes, makes me feel quite proud that I've connected with a visionary <laughs> business owner. Well, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have a good fun today. And, and I have to apologize to everyone who's listening because you're going to get bored to death with two Australians. And my, my accent, David, right, gets very Australian when I speak to another Australian. And, you know, so the ranting will probably, the, the tone will increase. It's going to be all that. <laughs> Look forward to it. Awesome. So let's let's kick off, mate. So welcome to the show. And 
I want to start because um, I sort of read your book. It's amazing in terms of what it what it does um, versus other books of its type, and we'll get all into that um, uh, as we go through the show today. But in the um, hidden, actually hidden in kind of one of those little kind of foldovers in the hard copy, there's this little thing about you, right? And it says um, you started your career by selling the Melbourne Cricket Ground. Now, for people who don't know the MCG, it's like it's like sort of iconic place i don't know it's like for the, the, the home religious of, icon for australians i was gonna say the home of cricket but then i realized like all my all my sport. Brit, i was gonna say all my brit listeners are gonna throw tomatoes at my head if i say the home of cricket because they're gonna say that's lords um but just tell us that story to kick off mate so what, what was that about yeah well i, I uh, when i left school I've just, i just wanted to go out make it big in the world and i was consuming as much of the personal development info that I could. I was reading books, listening to tapes and all those sorts of things. And I just read a book called The One Minute Millionaire. And it told the story of a guy called Paul Hartunian who sold the Brooklyn Bridge. He ended up seeing them doing some renovation on the Brooklyn Bridge, called up the wreckers, said, can I get my hands on a lot of the discarded wood? They delivered it to his house and he wrote a press release. New Jersey man sells the Brooklyn Bridge for 1995. And I just read this story and then I was driving past the MCG and they had this big gaping hole in the side of the MCG because they'd ripped down the Ponsted stand. And it was just like fireworks went off in my head and I thought, oh, wow, let's replicate exactly what Paul had done. And I got in contact with the wreckers. I got discarded the the green wooden seating, which is very iconic for the MCG. And I got the crested MCC, the Melbourne Cricket Club uh, logo on carpet. And I got a, a range of different sporting memorabilia. They were just going to throw it away. It was literally at the wreckers. Um, filled up a few van fulls, took it back to mum's. Um, I wrote a press release, <laughs> almost word for word similar. Melbourne man sells uh, the MCG for twenty four ninety five, And then I run... It was an editorial ad that originally I paid for in the MX magazine, which is a free magazine they give away on the Melbourne trains. And after the first time I ran that, I got mobbed by the media. It got picked up by the Today Show on Nova Radio magazines. And I just got loads of people wanting to do this story on the Melbourne man that sold the MCG. And I, all I did was I chopped up little pieces of the wood. I went down to Officeworks. I um, got certificate paper and I stuck the wood to this certificate paper. And then I, I got a photo and, and I just started selling pieces of it. Some of it I got framed and got the, the carpet put into these magnificent pieces of uh, collectibles that, that sold for a little over $1,000. And that was my my foray into the entrepreneurial that's world. Awesome. I, I kind of thought it was going to be like some brokerage story where you were kind of doing, you know, some, some high net worth guy, you know, wanted to invest in it. But so I just want to kind of just play that back a bit because there's, there's lots of really cool bits there. So first and foremost, um, did you pay anything to get the um, the wrecked stuff, or did you just turn up there about with a van? thousand bucks? I, I paid about a thousand dollars, but I got a tremendous amount of wood, which I still have piled up. Quite a lot of it still at Mum's in the garage in Greensboro. Oh my god! And so and so, uh, just directionally, because I want to understand this. What was like your um, your profit from this? So let's say let's say you, you spent a thousand bucks on it. Did you ten x a hundred x? What happened? <laughs> Uh, probably closer to, I'd say about 50 or 60 X. And I was just out of, you know, the, just finished school. So, uh, I was the tender age of 18 at the time. And, uh, I mean, that was just a huge start for me. That's amazing. That's a really good story. So I I often talk to different entrepreneurs and we call one of the, um, series in the show entrepreneur in focus. And that's a little soundbite just there. Um, that's one of the best stories I've heard. And the funny part about it is, <laughs> is actually that you, you kind of ripped it off from a book that you just read. That's even better. And no one, did no well, one put it together. Did no one ever kind of come oh. along and say. <laughs> you know what I look for now? Whenever I tell a good story, I go, how can I relate that back to systems? And I feel like systems, it's all about finding things that are already done. Most of the problems and great ideas, they've already been thought about by other people and solved. I just replicated this system, customized it and made it my own and ran with it. 
So it's, um, yeah, I, I always, where I can, try and link things back to systems now. I'm glad you said that. Okay, because one of the things I talk about is, um, I call, it's called the six peaks of value creation. It's just my personal interpretation of um, how I've looked at um, how businesses create value from my private equity days. And one of the peaks is process. I call it process anyway, because it's, um, it's nice to have, you know, six Ps as opposed to something else, even so. Um, but I might have to um, use some of your thinking to underpin that P. <laughs> <laughs> certainly after that, certainly after we have this conversation today, because it's the weakest one for me, because I understand the value of it as a as a business leader, as a CEO, because I've run companies, as you know. Um, but as I said, I wasn't joking when I said my eyes glaze over because the, the, I, I, I see it as being extremely uh, almost engineering spec and technical. And I know those things are important, but I don't live in that world. So just explain to me how you've come about you know, the idea behind systemology and, and where your thinking has come from that? I have always had an appreciation for systems and also like a deep appreciation for small business. So um, I think when a lot of people think about systems, there's a lot of those misconceptions. They think that the business owner needs to create the systems. They think that they're going to need hundreds of systems. They think even if I create the systems, my team isn't going to follow them anyway. So what's the point? They think systems remove creativity or that they need to systemize like McDonald's. Um, and I just found there's a lot of baggage around systems. And it, it comes from visionary thinkers who oftentimes found companies that aren't detail-orientated operations people. So much like you, you kind of you know they're important, but it's it's just not something that really connects with you. Um, and for me, I fell in love with the result of what systems can give. Um, and, and I had a like my big breakthrough um, happened from I I owned a digital agency that we um, I, I worked in for about ten years until found out we were pregnant and decided that I didn't want to be the dad that was always too busy so I wanted to remove myself from the operations I intuitively knew that systems was the key but for whatever reason I had all of that same baggage I thought I'm in the digital agency I can't systemize this it's a creative business and even if I created a system they'd be out of date next week because Google's always updating their algorithms so I had all of the again these reasons why it couldn't be done and then I thought well I have seen other digital agencies that have scaled and grown well beyond what I had grown it um, and with people running it and, and larger teams. Like we only had about a team of 15 at the time. And so then I went on that journey and then I, I went through a process of just testing a lot of those assumptions, systemized my business, and then got to the point where I stepped out, I hired a CEO, she started uh, running the business. Uh, and it was almost like, as soon as I did that, a huge opportunity fell into my lap. And, and that's really when I, I go, oh, what systems brings to business owners is it gives them enough space to step away from their business to then be able to take advantage of the big opportunities that they might not see. Like opportunities pop up every single day, but when you're working in the thick of it, you might not even notice them or a big opportunity might fall in your lap and you can't take advantage of it because you're just just too caught up and you don't have the space. Um, and it, right at, when I'd systemized and I stepped out, um, I, I got an email completely out of the blue from a lady called Luz Delia Gerber. Now, I, I didn't know the first name, but I definitely knew the surname. Um, I, I knew a certain Michael E. Gerber who wrote a book called The E-Myth, which is, you know, front and center for all business systems people. People often cite him as the godfather of uh, business systems for small business. I got this email and it literally just said, call me. And I knew that uh, the Gerbers were based on the West West Coast. You knew who the US. this person was after you probably did a, a search, right? Because call me, call, me, call me is kind of like a bit arrogant. I mean, <laughs> I don't, well, I don't think is. I'd be brave well, enough to send that to anyone. <laughs> the, the first day, but I, I did. I, I said, oh, well, I know Gerber. And then I looked at the domain name and it was Michael E. Gerber's, um, uh, sorry, Michael E. Gerber companies.com. And then I said, oh, okay, well, let's find out who this Lustelier is, I hop on the phone and she says, um, now, mind you, I had had no interaction with her before. She said, look, uh, I've happened to come across a bit of content that you had put out. She happened to see uh, the first book I wrote was called Authority Content. And I launched that myself. And 
she said, oh, I happened to see your book launch and I loved what you did. And, and Michael's just turned 80. He's written the final book in the E-Myth series called Beyond the E-Myth. And he's thinking about legacy at the moment um, and he doesn't want to give the rights over to HarperCollins. This is going to be the first book that he self-publishes. And um, we need someone to help out with the book launch. And she said, I just happened to see your book launch. And I think you would be perfect to launch Michael's last book in the E-Myth series. And I stumbled and stammered and I was like, "Uh, uh, uh, okay, yeah, I'd love to. And she said, there's a small catch. Um, It's going to take three or four months worth of solid work. And you're going to, you know, work pretty much on it full time. Now, I had literally just systemized my business, stepped out, put Melissa in charge. And I thought, this is like the universe giving me the ultimate test. Like, had I built the business to the point where it could run itself? So I I said, yes. I even went one step further. Everybody says I was completely crazy, but I volunteered to do the position. So I said, I'll do it for nothing, just for the opportunity to work with Michael and get mentored by him. So I... I've never worked on a project that has opened doors quicker. I would say the the name Michael Gerber and people would fall over themselves to get him on their podcast and do write-ups. And um, it was a fantastic launch to cut a long story short. The book became an Amazon bestseller in 24 hours, which is the quickest that he's ever had a, a book go to bestseller status. He flew me over to Carlsbad, California um, and uh, I, I took a few friends who helped me with the book launch. We hired one of these amazing houses on the side of, you know, h- hanging off a, a rock f- face in Carlsbad overlooking the Pacific. Like it was an amazing Airbnb house. We attended the um, the, the three-day um, workshop he was running called The Dreaming Room. That's what he invited me over to attend. At the end of that, um, he was running a, a two-day mastermind to determine the future direction of his legacy. Like I said, he's, he's getting on a bit. He's, he's 84 now, and he's thinking about, well, what happens next? How do I have the work continue? And for this mastermind, he, he was supposed to have Tony Robbins come and facilitate the group, but at the 11th hour, they couldn't get the facilitator. So I stuck my hand up and I said, well, if you don't have a facilitator, I would be happy to facilitate the, the mastermind. And they said, yes. So here I was standing in front of this room. I had had no contact with Michael four months prior. And I'm standing in front of the who's who of the business world, sitting in the presidential suite at some swanky hotel in Carlsbad, California. And I'm like, how the heck did I get here? And Like that for me was the real eye-opening moment where I realized potentially there are opportunities for business owners all the time. Like what what would a business owner do? Most business owners, if their Oprah of their industry came and knocked on their door and said, I would love you to work on a dream project with me. You have to do it full time. Most business owners couldn't step away. And for me, I kind of, I mean, that has opened tremendous doors for me. And I, I'll, I'll take a breath here because- well, You've got about, there's about seven things I'm going to try and unpack now, but I can't, the, the, first, the first one way back, <laughs> about five minutes ago, uh, was the paradox between the thing that entrepreneurs want the most is freedom, but when they get stressed, overwhelmed, if everything, they do the opposite. They, they go deeper, they dig into the business as opposed to trying to elevate up. So that's an interesting thought in its own right, just to kind of for everyone listening that, you know, that's the opposite of what you should do, but it feels like the thing you you must do at that point. But just to kind of reflect on what you said then, there's a, there's a saying that comes to mind, which is um, say yes and figure it out later. <laughs> yes. Which, which is a yeah. mindset concept, really, when you think about it. It's like a lot of people, they, they put up all the reasons why they shouldn't do that, you know, which are normally uh, fear-related things. But you kind of just said, you know what, I'm just going to do it which comes back, I think, a little bit to what you said a while back, which is about, you know, you invested in yourself and your own personal development a long time ago. And some of those different things kind of show up uh, at points, like you just said, serendipitously in many cases. I kind of feel when I think about life and business now, it's almost like a game of snakes and ladders where you progress and you just focus on the next step and you do slowly progress up the board. Occasionally, though, you will land on a ladder. And you have to be in an opportunity or ready to climb up that ladder. And that Michael Gerber event for me, now he, he 
got in touch with me for everything to do with launching his book and digital marketing. They had no idea what I was doing with System Hub and Systemology and this side business that I'd set up, which was my true passion. And that actually ended up becoming a snakes and ladders event for me. I jumped up 50 levels and now I've had the opportunity to work on a few projects with Michael. He's connected me with people. And that that has been a game changer, like plotting my way up. It, it would have taken me five, six years to get to that level, whereas I was able to run up the ladder. So it's you, you have to be ready for those opportunities. And that <laughs> is really the biggest thing for the business owner is, right. is to be able to spot those. And that was at a big level, but smaller ladders happen all the time. I like the snakes and ladders analogy. I mean, I haven't heard that in, in that way before. I mean, there's, there's a few things I don't want to forget. There's three things I want to talk about now because you've opened them up. Um, and we're going to go back a little bit and then we're obviously going to get into kind of your passion stuff now. But first and foremost, um, you must have had um, a very good model or success or whatever you want to call it to do that launch. And I've, you said beforehand your background was was, was an agency and, 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 you know, all those sort of things. So just talk about that for a second, because for them to notice what you did and then, you know, find you in a sea of other people who also self-publish, you must have done something pretty unique. So just tell, tell us about the, that first book launch. Yeah, I think uh, I, I many moons ago got in, like got interested in the internet marketing space and I came again uh, uh, up against um, uh, Jeff Walker's product launch formula. That was very early days in the piece and I learned some of it there. Then I kind of evolved into this idea. I, I really got good at, running little events, taking those events, chopping them into little pieces, getting them transcribed, okay. um, turning them into little video clips and creating a tremendous amount of content from one, like a one day event. I even then went the step further where I would run an event. I would get it all transcribed. I'd give the transcriptions to a ghostwriter. The ghostwriter would then turn it into a book. And that's actually how I wrote my first book, Authority Content, um, which is off the back of a, you know, a workshop. So it was a combination of uh, great content marketing rolled in with product launch formula, um, understanding this idea of building up anticipation. And we had a um, uh, built a Facebook group where I had like a little street team who I enrolled in the journey early of the book. So they came along with me and they got invested into it. So then by the time we're launching, I had so many people just sharing all of these assets uh, in loads of different places. They were posting in different forums. They were posting on when social media. They were... What timing was this? How far back are we going now? Um... Uh, uh, the, the, the first time I did it, like, let me double check. Yeah, I just want to get an idea of timescale because what Two, you just described. Uh, 2016 was when I first launched this book. Yeah, so you're ahead of the curve. I'm just what I'm getting because I mean, a lot of people now kind of understand the concept of what you just said. You know, sort of content leverage, really. You know, so so I'll sit there and I'll do I'll do two five minute videos per week, and that will turn into about 75 to 80 bits of content. Right? You know, we just repurpose, and, and quite often when we're doing something like this, I'll sometimes then live stream it to channels. And so there's a becoming kind of ubiquitous in terms of how I think about content. But I've been doing that for a couple of years, but it looks like you started that a long time before that. If, if uh, in my former life, I used to, um, I was involved in a stock market education business and we wrote a book called the Metastock Programming Study Guide. We're going back about 2005 or something like that. Nice. Um, and I used that strategy. I, I And it's on record. If you go to youtube.com uh, forward slash D Jennings, which was my old stock market one, um, I am on record for doing this about back in 2007. I took a workshop, chopped it up into pieces, made little clips, and it was in the stock market space. So some of those videos have many hundreds of thousands of views. But it's... Um, I, I, and I outlined the strategy in the book, but I, I for sure could say I would be one of the very early pioneers of that. I just happened to stumble across YouTube and I was interested in internet marketing. We'd recorded a bunch of videos and I just chopped them up and loaded to YouTube. And that was kind of like what set me off. And then the authority content was the documentation of that method. 
Okay, interesting. Okay, let's let's move on to um, the next question I've got. We are going to end up. There is a sequence here, as you'll see. So, so the bit you said second to that was, you know, you um, created systems with your agency, and that allowed you to take on the opportunity with Michael Gerber. Take us through how you did that, because one of the things I feel um, entrepreneurs do, and I've been here myself, is the reason that you don't do that. What you've what you're about to describe is because first and foremost, it just seems too too consuming, too overwhelming. Uh, and then because it feels overwhelming, you procrastinate and then you just never do it. But you obviously did it, <laughs> right? So take us through yeah. that journey. Obviously, you've you've optimized it now and it must be a lot slicker. But just take us through that experience when you first did it with the agency and how, how you did that successfully. The biggest thing uh, was whenever I would come across some sort of roadblock that would pop up internally, I would think, oh, what is a way to get around that and do it differently. So I started chatting with another business mentor of mine and I'd said to him, look, I'm trying to systemize myself out of the business and um, you know, I, I'm just not able to get these systems and processes down. It's not something that I really enjoy doing. And he said, well, have you thought about hiring a consultant to come in who might be a subject matter expert, develop a range of systems for something that you can then deploy? My immediate response to that was, I don't really want to pay some overpriced consultant to come in who doesn't really know the business to then document something that I'm probably going to have to change it anyway. But it, he did plant something in my head, which was, what happens if I didn't have to be the one that did the documentation? And I, that seed stuck with me. And then I I came up with this idea where I, I, I started up a podcast called Business Processes Simplified. And I thought, how about any time I want to create a system or a process, I, I find a person who's already done the thing, I interview them, have them step through the steps, and then I took the recording, gave it to my team, and they did the documentation. So the very first person that I interviewed when I was thinking, oh, you know, I want to um, head down this podcast route was I'm going to interview someone about how to set up a podcast. And then he told me the steps for that. And then that became the documentation. So I started using that method. I'm so just to jump in very quickly, David. I'm so glad you said that because we're going to do that in a second. So you're going to give me the step by step and I'm just going to go and apply that somewhere. You're cool with that. Yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> I just wanted to get you to that point because, of course, you know, everyone else is going to do that. But I'm hoping that you're going to make it just a little bit tricky enough that they're all going to go and buy your book. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Ah, good. Okay. Well, that's, that's just, the way just that transparency, my brain you know, just, just to be super transparent. <laughs> that, that's the way my brain thinks. It is. I can't help but think about the logical order. Um, and I, I search for that order. So I had problems in the business or things that I wanted to do. Started off with interviewing people. And then for team members, we realized systemizing is a two-person job. You've got the knowledgeable person and then you've got a documenter. Most of the time, your greatest team members and you as the business owner are busy. If I said, go write systems and processes, it's important. It's never urgent. You'll never make time. But if you record you doing the task and then you give it to someone else to do the documentation of it and you come back to me with version one. So maybe you record me doing something on Zoom or, you know, you get your iPhone out if it's in the real world and you record me doing something. Then it goes to the document. They pull out the key steps. And then it goes back to the original knowledgeable worker. And then it's much easier. Everybody loves to edit. No one likes to write from a blank page. So when you go back to that person, oftentimes they'll be able to skim through it and make changes. But there are little tricks like that where I started to go, maybe I don't need to do it. The, the other big one is I realized the system doesn't need to be perfect. Find out what is best practice that is currently going on in the business at the moment document and capture that and bring everybody up to that standard. That's level one. It doesn't like an need 80, to 20 be... principle in terms of, you know, as long as, as long as the core concepts are clear enough that someone can do that, the 20% that you may not have made it perfect, you know, to use that concept, doesn't really matter. A hundred percent. And oftentimes in your team, like I say, the right time to systemize is once you've got a little bit of traction, you've got product to market fit, um, you've got a little bit of a team around you, and then you're starting to find that you're the bottleneck. So then the next step is, yeah, you think about, well, where does that knowledge reside and how do we empower them and make it easy for them? And where we can, I got it off my plate. I wasn't um, involved in the documentation of every process. 
I, I helped with the 80-20 to figure out what is the 20% of the systems that deliver the 80% of the results. So that 80-20 came in there, but then I, I empowered the team to actually do that first level of documentation. Okay. One, one thing I love that you said there, which um, I'm definitely going to take, uh, is the idea of, because I, I much prefer um, voice and video for obvious reasons, um, and I much prefer to kind of do voicemail. So my VAs and PAs and whatever else I've got in my system, I just kind of do very, very quick voice notes. And it's great, right? Because I, I don't like to write long things. So um, the idea that I can actually use that method to kind of communicate something. And then if someone has to come in between that to write it down, that means I don't have to do the task, which I don't like the most. Now, question I've got for you, though, is did you use that process to write systemology? Did you actually sit down at your laptop and write pages and pages and pages? Or did you record stuff? And, and I'm just curious. I'm, I'm getting a sense so, that you've done something um, interesting here. The way I did it, I uh, scheduled an event because I, I love a one-day workshop and I love putting a positive constraint on myself. I know there's going to be a room full of people arriving on a certain day and I need to be prepared to present. Each of the sessions that I prepared, I thought of them in terms of chapters and I imagined each chapter and I started each session with a story and then I moved into the teaching. I ran the workshop. I sent it off to a ghostwriter in the UK he wrote the first version of Systemology, came back to me. I did the first edit, went to an editor, came back to me, and then that's that's how I wrote wow, the I love book. it. Leverage. That, that, that's, my, that's my dream. So I, so I started writing my first book at uh, the beginning of the year, and I got, to, got to around about 10,000 um, words, and then I fell asleep. And... <laughs> I mean, I think it's yeah, like I've you got need to get to at least 50, 50,000 is the goal, at least for a book. Yeah, I know. So I know. Well, I've got a, I've got a, yeah. I've got a book coach, right? So I've got, you know, I've got all the support I bloody need, but I, the, um, I, it's the writing piece, which you know, I can plan the book to death. But the thing is, right. If you get me and you probably get a sense, you know, I've done 110 podcasts as we interview, as we interview you today, I can talk forever. Right. You know, so I just want to give the podcast episodes to someone and, you know, get them to go and turn it into something magical. <laughs> if you can pick the right um, episodes and thinking about the linear story, like there is, if you think of, there's a great book called Rework. I don't know if you ever read that book by, it was Basecamp um, uh, founders wrote that book. Oh, right, okay. And it was put together as a series of blog articles. It was a really popular book and they had just written the blog post articles and then basically stitched the whole book together. Yeah. The epiphany here, I think, and again, I'm, I'm pulling this out, drawing from my own kind of reflections, but again, it's for everyone listening, is that, you know, if you are, because I've often said this in scale up, right? If you are good at something and you love doing it, do that, right? Particularly if it's a vital task and we can define what that means in those things. However, if you find something that doesn't give you energy, right? But it's important to your point, get someone else to do it. You know, find a way of leveraging that so that, you know, you're not getting consumed or overwhelmed by those things. A hundred percent. And I, when I think about business, business is a system and then underneath that system, there are subsystems. So if business, your business as a whole is a system, then the subsystems are things like marketing, sales, HR, finance, operations. So they're your departments, they're your subsystems. And then underneath those subsystems or those departments, you're going to have key components. Um, so it's that, again, you look for the 80-20 in each of those different departments. And for the business to run healthily, um, a healthy system, all of those systems need to be running quite well. So if you as a business owner are neglecting certain things, maybe you're great at sales, but you're really bad with HR, or maybe you don't like marketing and you start neglecting those systems, it brings down the overall health of the, the, the whole system. So you need to find what you're good at and then you need to make sure that all of those other departments are healthy. Otherwise, you're going to have an unhealthy system and then an unhealthy system creates an unhealthy result. Okay. Well, you know what? We, I, I want to, I, we've been dancing around and teasing everybody, right? Let's get into this. Let's get into yes. this. Let's get practical, yep. right? You ready? Step one, step two, step yeah, three. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, without, without, you know, again, remember a lot of the people listening to this are entrepreneurs and we want them to be totally um, mesmerized by by what you're going to tell them so i, I appreciate that because this is the bit that i struggle with as i said beforehand is i know i know the benefit of this i know that it's the pathway to freedom uh i know that one when i do it and it works it gives me a huge amount of fulfillment 
but starting it and working it out is the hard bit. So let's go through what you've written in systemology um, and, and make it as practical, but as as clear as it possibly can be for people so, so they can apply some of the thinking and obviously they can get the book to, to go into the detail. Perfect. Well, I mean, the most common question that I get is where do I start? Which is the question that you That's asked Kind of what I said well. in a long way. Yeah. Where do we, where do we start then? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, the first place to start, it's something that you don't even need to get the book to do. I can explain it right now. Someone listening to this, get out an A4 bit of paper and I'm going to take you through the first step in systemology, which is called the critical client flow. It's a way to identify the 80-20. It's the 20% of the systems that deliver that 80% of the result. And the goal here is to come up with a way that the business can make money without key person dependency, not dependent on the business owner or anyone else on the team. So on that A4 bit of paper, top left-hand corner, Firstly, think about who your dream client is, the person who pays your advertised prices, is a joy to work with, repeat business, referral business, just someone that you really enjoy working with. Next, underneath that, think about the primary product or service that you would sell to that dream client that is the perfect gateway to working with you. It's, it's that first step and it's their opportunity to see if they're a good fit and you're able to deliver the result and it's it's um, a great onboarding. So mm-hmm. in the digital agency, we identified franchisors as um, a target audience for us and we also looked at the, uh, the product or service was actually selling what we call authority websites. So that was um, that first step. Now then we want to design or map out the, the customer and the business journey to deliver that product or service. So at the top of the page, and it's the whole game is to keep this simple. If it needs to be just on one A4 bit of paper and you start at the top and you think, how do you get attention? Now with a critical client flow, the first thing to think about also is you only capture what you're currently doing, not what you would like to do because we're just going right. to be bottling what's already working. So for attention, maybe you go, well, I get referrals, I do some SEO, I do some AdWords, I might do some social media, whatever. You write that along the top, only what you are doing. Then you move down. The next step down is inquiry. How do you get your inquiries? Maybe it's website, email, phone, whatever. That's your next box. Move down the page. Then do you have some sort of like, what does your sales process look like? Do you have a qualification call? Do you um, send them out a quiz first and then get them on a Zoom call? But you literally map out those steps down the page. So it's maybe it's qualification and then you have a Zoom call. Then maybe the step under that is you issue out some sort of proposal. And, I, and I'm walking through like a service-based business, but it, it really applies to any business. That next step might be issuing out a proposal. Then the next step down um, as you work your way down would be, Um, How do you take the money? So do you invoice 50% up front or 50% on completion? Then you work down the page. Then how do you onboard the client? Um, Then the next one, how do you deliver the core product or service? And then the last one, how do you deliver, hand over and get them to come back? So literally you keep it incredibly high level because later on each one of these boxes will become a system. The, The purpose is to just identify the linear journey that the customer and the business goes through to deliver that core product or service. And we call that the critical client flow. And if you start to systemize that first, you are systemizing how the business can make money potentially without any sort of key person dependency. And if you focus there, because there's a lot of things you could systemize. You could systemize your finances. You can systemize how you're hiring staff and onboarding staff. You can systemize management, all those sorts of things. While important, we will get to them. Let's first make sure that we systemize how the business makes money. Okay, that makes and a lot of sense. That, that In fact, one. that process, um, certainly in a couple of the businesses I've got, we have that pretty well locked down. Now, we haven't necessarily automated all the areas, but the steps from you know, how, how we attract or become aware to our ideal client all the way through to, as you said, you know, effectively client success, how do they come back? We've got about exactly the process you described. So that's good. Perfect. We haven't necessarily so done that across every part of every component of our business. So it wouldn't be what I call fully optimized, but but that linear flow, that very um, uh, conscious decision of how you how you manage that whole ecosystem is very clear. So I like that. Very good. 
So that would be step one. Step number two addresses this idea that the business owner thinks that they need to be the person who does the documentation. So step number two in systemology is called a sign. And it's about identifying who on the team already has the knowledge. So if you've mapped out your critical client flow, then you might go, oh, Jane at reception answers the phone or those inbound inquiries. Or you'd go, oh, Joe does the sales process. Where you can, you start to think about, well, who on the team is delivering that step to the best possible standard. And we just want to match the two up. And where we can, we avoid the business owner as much as possible. And the whole idea is to take the business owner out of the equation, because if at least we can get version one down, we're infinitely further along. Because if it just sits with the business owner, it'll never get done. And yeah, you're, you're you better off having something. Point. So you do that. And let's say the business owner of the seven or so steps you've mentioned in that first phase, um, the business owner is doing three or four of them, right? Which is quite common, particularly early stage businesses. And they haven't got anyone at that point in the business who has the capability, the knowledge, et cetera, to take any of those away. What's the first thing you do? Do you, do you go and hire someone or do you, what do you advise on that? So we move to the next step. Ah, the next head. So you can still assign you, where we can, we avoid the business owner. But yes, sometimes the business owner will be, you know, their thing might be sales. So, okay, that's fine. So then step number three is the extract phase. This is where we understand that I talked about one of the secrets earlier, which is um, it's a two-person job. You've got the knowledgeable worker and then you've got the documenter. The other thing that you have is we call it a system for creating systems. And we, we just record the person doing the thing live in the moment, no matter how raw it is. So I um, did some work with a, a company here in Australia called Portavac. They clean roofing gutters and they have tradespeople who go out in the field. Um, what we ended up doing to capture their systems and processes, we got one of the apprentices to follow one of their leads tradespeople. He put a GoPro on and he basically followed the tradesperson around for the day. He heard what he said to the client when he met first arrived on the premises, how he set up the equipment, how he did all of the safety to get on the roof and basically recorded the lot. And then uh, we took those recordings, chopped them up into pieces. And then that was the first step in the extraction. Then we gave it to someone else, the documenter who watched those to pull out the key steps. So for the business owner, if the business owner is involved in the sales process, Record them having a sales call. Record them doing the thing next time that they do it. And then you'll have someone who listens to it to pull out those key steps. And then once you've got version one of the system, that then gets sent back to the knowledgeable worker to have a quick look. Okay, got it. Okay, wow. Okay, this is fascinating. Okay, let's, let's so, keep going uh, through. I don't, want, I, don't want to, I don't want to disrupt your flow here now because we, yeah. I can see we're getting through the sequence, which is great. Um, so that um, step number three, which is the extract, that the whole aim of the game is to try and um, overcome the myths or misconceptions that people have about what's stopping them doing it. So the next one, which is about organizing, has to do with, okay, well, it's, it's one thing to have your systems and processes documented. It's another then to get your team to actually follow them and have them organized in a central location that people can find. So it's... Um, the, the next step, which is organized, step number four, uh, it's about making it as simple as possible uh, as far as where you're storing those. You need a central location where all of the knowledge is stored. And the magic happens when you introduce a project management platform and some form of document management. So that way your project management handles who does what by when. Your document management or the systems management handles the how-to. Now, if you're assigning out a task inside your project management, and then at the point at which you assign the task, you link to the system that then explains how that task is done. Are we talking like now an Asana or a Monday.com? That sort of, I mean, I'm just throwing a couple out there. Of course, you've got Trello, those yep. sort of, that sort of system, yeah? To, to manage the project. Exactly project's right. So let's say you've got a client uh, or you've, you've got a product or service that you sell and you might... Um, have a checklist of a handful of things that need to be done when you're onboarding and delivering for that client, when those subtasks or those checklist items, you link those 
to the video and the how-to steps. So when you're assigning the task, now you're creating this level of accountability with the team because if they're checking it off, they're effectively saying, I've done it to the standard that you've outlined here in this system. Yeah, got and it. if you don't, it make it much easier for management or their team leader to point and go, oh, you kind of stuffed this up. Next time, make sure that you've got the system open. Um, and I say to my team, I'm like, look, you don't have to have the system open every time if you're able to flawlessly execute. But if you haven't yet got the process down, then you have the documentation open. And then we move to the next step. So if step four was organized, step five is integrate. And this has to do with how we introduce it to the team, how we overcome resistance. And it meets that, that point where people go, yeah, but even if I had systems, my team wouldn't follow them anyway. That's kind of the misconception. And, and that happens because the business owner oftentimes isn't a systems person. So they think I can't have a systems driven business because I'm not a systems person and I don't really follow process. But A players, when you recruit and you build um, systems thinking into your recruitment and you share systems and processes as part of the onboarding process and the hiring process, A players love a system because you're basically saying, here's how you can ace your job. If you can do this task and you do it really well, you're going to be a, a top performer. And there's a balance as well. I, you also need to get away from thinking that systems needs to be documented to the level that McDonald's does, where they might document how to flip a hamburger and they've they've systemized for the lowest common denominator, thinking that they're hiring a 15-year-old kid with zero experience. I like to think of systems more like um, a guide and a set of rules and a structure, but you certain tasks, you still have to allow for the fact that you're going to be hiring intelligent people. That should be part of your recruitment system. And you want to let them do their thing well. It probably comes so, back a little bit to the 80-20 we said beforehand. There's, there's a 20% of flair, you know, possibly even more yeah. that kind of, you know, because often the task, the task is the task, right? Or the outcome and the result is that. But how someone does it, if you like, I've always said, and, and be interested in your thoughts on this, I've said it doesn't matter too much as long as the result's there, as long as it's done efficiently, effectively. But do you think that, does that contradict a little bit of this? Uh, is, is it more of a balance that someone actually has to follow the process? But if someone's amazing, they might actually innovate around the process. Yeah, so the, the biggest difference that happens between those that really make systems culture work and those that don't, it's more than just having a set of written down documents. It becomes a way of being, a way of working. And part of um, that systems culture is the innovation and improvement of systems. Mm. You always look to the system and you always look to improve the system. So it's that shift actually happens when the team goes, ah, oh, this is how we do things here. We have a process. And if I spot improvements, well, we that's built into the system. We identify this as an issue and then something that can then rejig the way that the system is done. So you still want to have people looking for ways to improve. But all a system does is it gives you a way to deliver something to a consistent standard and do so in the quickest possible format because you're shown exactly how to do it. But you, you do also do want to innovate on top of that. But that's, that probably comes a little bit further down the line. We've got to initially get people into, because the most resistance you'll get from systems happens right up front the first time you introduce them. Because staff is going to go, why do I have to change? I've always done it this way. Why, why, why do we have to now think about systemizing our role? And I don't want to follow this process. And all of the resistance that you'll get to introducing this new way of business happens up front. And that's why most business owners abandon it because you have to actually push through that level, get to the other side. And then every new hire that you bring on board, when they come on board, that's all they ever know is your way of doing things, your systemized approach. So there is no res resistance. The resistance comes from the existing team. Now, the best news is that with the global pandemic, uh, now is the best time I've ever seen in history to systemize a business or implement any form of change because people and teams, they're experiencing change in their work and their home life, just in the world around them. So to now say, hey, the world is changing. 
we have to change the way that we do business. We now have a systemized approach. The resistance is incredibly low and it's much easier to get well, buy-in People can understand right the now. context, can't they? So there's always the thing about people will um, believe in something or take action when you can actually um, make it make it real, You know, make it obvious that that is exactly what should happen. So now I can see that. I suppose the only counter argument to that is when there is so much change and uncertainty, you know, I, I understand that systemization can bring a bit more certainty, but sometimes particularly owners, entrepreneurs think, oh, it's another thing. It's another thing I now have to do in a world which is becoming even more complex because of what's happened. Yeah. And the, the way to try and overcome some of that is, yes, to bring the team in on it, um, make sure that we assign it out as much as possible, understanding it's a two-person job. You can actually speed the process up infinitely by going through some of those steps that we've mentioned previously. And then with step number five is integrate. Step number six then becomes, I call it scale. So if the critical client flow is about identifying the core systems for the delivery of that that central product or service, scale is then about, well, what are the systems that sit outside of that that are important for scale? Things like hiring and onboarding, things like some of your financial systems and your management systems. So first, you know, the critical client flow means you only will have to focus on 10 to 15 systems. And then step number seven, the scale cracks it open a little bit wider. And then the last stage, which is the uh, optimized stage, again, it's, it's about releasing that idea that you need to systemize like McDonald's. And rather than systemizing like McDonald's, is today everybody looks to McDonald's as this lean, mean, systemized machine, every facet just infinitely dialed in. Whereas McDonald's, if you watch the movie The Founder and you see their very early humble beginnings, they're scratching out on a basketball court thinking about, oh, we're going to put the milkshake machine making near the fryer or do we put it near the window? And you see how it started. So don't think about how did McDonald's, you know, how are they systemized today? How did they do it back then? So that's why I leave optimization to last. Just capture what you're doing. Don't re-engineer anything. What you're doing, your business is kind of already working. So let's at least try and can and clone the best bits before we start the re-engineering. And in some, in some cases, you might already have. I'm just thinking as you say that, particularly through the, that spine, that customer spine, as you were mentioning beforehand, you've probably got some pretty decent processes there already if you're making money and your business is, is successful. So therefore, it, it feels a little bit like that would then come under optimization to some extent. You're not necessarily recreating the process, you're just improving it. 100%. And that, that might be the time when, like I see this as the foundation and then you go to someone like Nick Radley when you're ready to really blow this thing up and he looks at your business and you can come to him and go, well, here's how we do things now. Here's what my metrics look like. And then you just sit here and you go, wow, if you re-engineer just this piece of your system, it will be a game changer. Um, and, and that's when you, you it's kind of like you're giving the expert something to work with. Oftentimes, a lot of business owners, when they start working with coaches and advisors, their business is just, you know, a red hot mess. And the business, the, the coach first has to come in and do some form of cleanup just to get some normalcy. Whereas if you come in with a base level in place, it's like having very strong foundations. It's much quicker to build from. It's much easier. I mean, as I said, that's partly why, and, you know, I enjoy the good to great as opposed to the the messy and not working so good because you know it's to be frank it's a lot more it's a lot more work if you start like you know it's it's not that difficult to tweak and tune an engine that's already running well and get it really singing you know and a lot of the businesses this is the interesting thing a lot of business owners out there they don't quite realize they've already got a good business they think it's an absolute mess but when you actually go in there it's pretty damn good and it only takes a, you know two or three steps to get it really working so yeah man yeah. you've just done a whistle stop of that that was very good <laughs> <laughs> the seven the seven bits because when i read the book i was thinking that there's a heap more in that i mean when you get into it but i love the thing i really like about um what you've created here is is the fact that you start with the um the revenue you start with the income generation because i think a lot of people think that they have to look at every area of their business and they have to kind of almost treat those areas the same whereas what you're saying here is you don't get to that rest of business until step six into the scale piece because actually if you've got that course as i call it the spine but that core tenant going through if that's working then actually the business is still going to be operating certainly commercially at a pretty good level and i think that's what systemology brings that is so unique 
a lot of the work that has been done in the systems space, things like Six Sigma and Lean, they've all been these methodologies that are developed for manufacturing and large corporates and big companies. And they start with workflows and flow charts before they even get down to, you know, I mean, that's just massive overkill for a small business. You're oftentimes, um, you know, it's it's so so lean and business owners they they don't get excited by systems so you've got to focus on well what is the thing that is going to impact the bottom line the quickest and the most like what is the minimum viable product of systems and processes and that's how i've approached it in a very different way to a lot of the other methodologies it's coming from that mindset of yeah what what is going from zero, no systems to at least a core operating system to build from. Yeah, it makes it significantly more manageable. Uh, and as I'm thinking about it from a, from a business owner, a CEO perspective, I can see how that just starts to make it much more attractive as opposed to, you know, consuming, which is good. Um, all right, listen, that's great. We're going to finish up pretty soon. So you've been very generous with your time, David. I could keep talking to you about all sorts of stuff. I'm very conscious of that. Um, but one thing I want to know is what's what's your personal vision now? You've you've done some interesting things, right? And you've created this this amazing process, and obviously you're very passionate about it. But where do you want to take it? What are you trying to do with this? Mm. So, the, like the dream of the company is to free all business owners worldwide from the day to day operations of running the business. To do that, we want to develop a a system and a way to extract best practice, organize it, and document it. And that's what I believe that we've done. So now for me, it's how do I spread the message as quickly and far and wide as I can? So we're working on, at the moment, I'm just taking through off the back of the book launch, we're taking through our first cohort of systemologists. Mm -hmm. So I'm teaching um, consultants to apply our methodology in with businesses. And the plan is to grow a community of systemologists who work directly to deploy the technology and the seven steps uh, into businesses businesses so similar that's, to that's what um, Gino Wickman's done with um, his whole EOS piece and I think um, Mike Michalowicz has done that well with a couple of his different concepts as well clockwork and those sort of things great so there so if people want to if people listening to this obviously they'll read the book but I know I'm a big believer that education is one thing but most people want the job done <laughs> Right, and you know it would it would be it would be untoward to some extent to suggest that you're you're suggesting leverage and and systems and then not being able to leverage those things as well. So if someone wanted to um, hire someone in your team or one of these consultants, have you got that established now? Can people reach out and and get that service yet, or is that something that's coming soon? Uh, very close. I mean, I used to do it personally for a little while, and that's when I realised that leverage wasn't there. So that first group going through, um, we're looking very early, sort of 2021. Um, we've, we've already, they're about three quarters of the way through at the moment now. So yes, I, I think if they, they reach out, I mean, the best way, if you go to just start off with the book, because you might find that you can get the ball rolling. If you've got an operations person, depending on the size of the organization, if you're you know, a visionary founder or the business owner and you have an operations person, buy a copy of Systemology and give it to the operations person and then get them to spearhead it and start driving it forward. At the very least, that'll at least get things moving. But the message oftentimes resonates very well with the operations person. They'll read it and they'll be crying out for this and they'll say, why haven't we done this years ago? Like it's the operations persons love it. It's it's the the visionary founder that I'm trying to really inspire with the work to kind of go, hey, who knows? Michael Gerber or whoever your industry leader, expert, your Oprah might be ready to knock on your door if only you weren't too busy to... Uh, I know, love starting with that story. Or well, actually, that was the second story because we spoke about the MCG. But that that is, you're right. I mean, there's most people... There's a point where they love what they do, the business, but the business is a vehicle. I often say the business is a vehicle for, for other things. And we talked a bit about freedom initially, but you're right. If something comes up that is the dream, whatever that is, it doesn't even have to be work-related. You want to be ready to be able to take that opportunity when it presents itself. And so I think for me and and certainly a lot of the people that I work with, and I know a lot of the listeners of the show, um, it's not that they don't appreciate systems it's not that they don't realize that that is the pathway to freedom and probably the main the main thing they have to do it's just they don't know where to start so i think today we've covered a lot of that and i'm definitely going to endorse the book um as i said it's one of the best business books i've read in the last couple of years um just because it does simplify something which can 
can sometimes be um, thought of as overly complex. Thank you for the kind words and yeah, the opportunity to join you on the podcast. It's been fantastic. Excellent. Awesome. So as I said, the guys um, can get in touch with you. So you've got www.systemology.com. That's the site. The book is called Systemology and you can get that from, I take it, all the usual places. So I always say Amazon, go there and get that. And where can people reach out to you personally, David, if they just want to connect and kind of, you know, give you some feedback on the show or anything like that? For sure, just systemology.com. Right down in the footer, there's a link to some different social media. I'm on Twitter or um, you can get me on Facebook. I'm on most of the social channels or, or LinkedIn. LinkedIn's probably actually the best. Um, just shoot us a note through there. Happy to see what I can do to help or at the very least, I'll, I'll point you in the right direction. Awesome. Okay, well, listen, um, thanks again, David. Great having you on having you on Scale Up Your Business today. As I said, I really appreciate you coming on the show. 